Blog Talk Radio. Witches. My name is Raina Starr. I am your host for the hour. Uh, Desperate House Witches is not a GPG or even an R-rated show. So if bad language, bodily functions, or you talk of any kind might upset you, this may not be the show for you. But I'm hoping it is because I've got a really amazing guest if we can figure out technology. Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the one, the only, the incredible, wicked one herself, Dorothy Morrison. Everybody, please check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witching needs. And uh, hopefully, <laughs> let's see. We, have a, we seem to have an issue with technology, but I'm going to still try to get him. Hi. The amazing Jason Mankey. Hey, how are you? Huh? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, like, live in Silicon Valley, so, I mean, like, technology should be easier than this. And yet, it never seems to work that way. It never seems to work that way. All right, so that was kind of crazy, um, and I didn't even get to really properly intro you, but Jason Mankey, amazing writer, multiple, multiple-time writer, uh, head priest over two covens, I believe, at this point, Um uh, married to the amazing Ari, because you can't talk about Jason without talking about his lovely wife. And um, so, Jason, <laughs> welcome back to the show. Sorry for the technical difficulties. So the new book, The Horned God of the Witches, um, I know there's a story behind it because there is always a story. Um so do you want to tell folks the story, or do you want me to tell it? Because I know the story. I, you know, I don't know if there's a story. There are many stories behind that particular <laughs> book. I've been talking about the Horn God for over 20 years. You know, that was one of the first sort of workshops I ever did, and I'm glad no one, like, had cell phones back then because it was terrible. But, I mean, that's always been, like, one of my big primary concerns. And... In 2005, I did a workshop at Pantheacon, which was a big festival on the West Coast for a while. It, you know, for a period of time, it had about 2,000 people going, which is a really large festival. And I did a Horn yeah. God workshop there, and Christopher Penzak saw it, the amazing C Pen, and he's like, "You really need mm-hmm. to, you know, write a book, and you need to send it to Llewellyn and stuff." And he made some introductions, and I sent them the things that I had written. And they promptly sent me a rejection letter, which was well-deserved, I think, at the time. Uh, you know, and then I made sure. it vows. Like, you know, and then I finished it, right? I, like, self-published it, and I sell it at festivals. Some people liked it and things. Yeah. And it was okay. It was not as good as it should have been. It didn't have footnotes. There were a lot of things I didn't cover, you know. But I decided yeah. I was never going to try to write that book ever again because it was too hard. I decided <laughs> it was too hard. You know, and Llewellyn yeah. didn't seem interested in publishing anything having to do with, you know, especially male deities. 
you know, so after I started writing for them in 2015, I was like, I'm never going to do this, right? It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And then right. several years later, I'm sitting, I'm like not sitting, I'm standing in my shower where all of my best thoughts occur. And I start thinking uh-huh. about books because I just finished a book and I was like, I'm going to send them a proposal for what became the little book of Yule. But then in the back of my mind, I was like, I can, yeah. I could do a Horn God book. And I ran through these chapters, ideas in my head, and I ran out of the shower and I sat down, dripping wet in front of my computer and wrote it all down, all the chapter ideas, and I sent that to Llewellyn, and they sent me a note saying, how would this be different from what we rejected 15 years ago? And I was like, wow, you still remember that? You're hurting me. Leave that alone. Wow. And I finally convinced them to do it. So it was just, it was a calling, I think. I felt like I had to do this book. There was something inside of me yeah. saying that this needs to get done. Higher power kind of directing me and pushing me uh, to do this book. And also, I wanted yeah. to do the book because the Horned God is one of the primary things about witchcraft. If you look at what people think about witchcraft over the last 1,000 years, it's all, there's always a horned figure in the middle of it, right? I mean, it's usually sure. the devil, Absolutely. Uh, but still wearing horns. And I feel like the horned god has kind of been pushed away over the last couple of decades. And especially, you know, I'll admit sometimes I'm a little petty, you know, like when I, you know, all anybody ever talks about is Hecate. And I'm like, look at him. He's, he's beautiful yeah. and he has horns. And I want to I wanna talk about him too. So that's why I wrote the book in a very big nutshell. I think that's the story. And I, love I think the, that's the story I, of the book. I, and that is the – well, I mean, I love the part about you, you know, running – dripping wet from the shower to your computer that's like i i know the other parts of the story too because i actually pay attention when you speak um i'm just saying and uh i love that part i do (laughs) yeah not even true i also wanted to mention before we go any further the artwork on the cover by the amazing ltz sorry laura tempest zakroff we call her ltz in my house we just adore the artwork on the on the book and all of LTZ's artwork is amazing. Laura Tempest-Zakroff is a, an amazing human as well. Um, but the there's first a story thing there I too. Thought, no, there's, oh God, there's a story the about story, the artwork please. too. So I mean, I've known Tempest for six or seven years now, and we you know we wrote a book together mm-hmm. a few years ago, The Witch's Altar. Yeah. But you know, we really kind of hit it off. At, like we met in like August once, and then a few months later, she was at the PantheaCon thing again, and she was selling art. And there was this mm-hmm. beautiful painting that she'd done, and Ari's like, "I want that." And I was like, "Well, you know, I think we should get something to accompany it, like maybe a Kernonos." And she heard us. She goes, "I will, I will paint you a Kernonos," you know, because she didn't have one. Wow. I'll paint it for you. Yeah. And, I, and then I was like, "So we'll buy books." And I had no idea how much they were. They were quite expensive, actually. My wife yelled at me later. Um, But then we got the Cronos like a month or two later when she had painted it, and it it was amazing. I mean, it was like he was whispering into her ear. It was everything that I wanted a Cronos painting to be. Uh, When I think of Cronos now, that's one of the images that first springs into my mind. I loved this image. So when I got the go-ahead to write the book, and then we were talking about the book, and they asked me for ideas about the cover art. I said, I want Tempest to do the cover art. And Tempest had never done the cover art for a book that was not her own. 
And Llewellyn can be really picky about who gets to do the covers. And so, I mean, I was the first, a trailblazer, that I had Tempest get to do my cover. And, you know, and she knocked it out of the park. You know, she asked me, what do you want to, you know, what what are you thinking of? What do you want? And, you know, I sent her some ideas and things. I mean, so I had a little bit of input, but mostly it's all her. And then she painted the horned god's hair blonde in her painting. (laughs) That was for me. So, I mean, it's really great. And I love and I love that painting so much. And then she sold me the original, so I have it sitting in my house. That's awesome. I I love her artwork. I have a lot of it in my house, actually. Um, I need more, but I I my collection is definitely started. I've got four or five pieces already up on the walls. Um, and Tempest is just a great human as well. So, Absolutely. You know, I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask you because your original go with this book was kind of, you know, a run and and and, and a miss, as it were. And I wanted to ask because I'm not an author, but I used to be a musician, and I remember being told when I was a very young musician. Keep writing. Keep writing. It's not all going to be great. As a matter of fact, in the beginning, it's going to suck. But if you keep writing, you get better. And that was about songwriting. Is it the same thing for books? Absolutely. Uh, Writing is like a muscle. The more you use that muscle, the Mm -hmm. stronger it gets. The more you write, the more you'll improve. And, you know, writing songs or writing books, I mean, there's kind of an art thing to it, right? I mean, not everybody can. Not everybody Mm -hmm has the discipline or the language skills to write a book. And that's okay. I mean, and I could never write a song, for instance, as much as I tried. But, I mean, if you have that little seed and you think it's something that you want to do and should do, uh, then you have to practice. And I think when I started writing, I just thought, well, you know, I'm a good writer. I can just write. You know, I'll just pick this up when I want to, and it'll come out fine. And it doesn't. You know, you really need to write. You know, so many thousand words a month to keep in practice and to keep the ideas churning and flowing. You know, and there are times I take a week off here or there. There are times you just want to get, you know, you just want to get the F away from it. But for the most part, you need to do it often. One of the things that for me, I think, was would really improve my writing was blog writing. I think if I had never yeah. started my blog, Raise the Horns, at Pathios and attracted a, a readership. I don't think I would have ever written a book because I think I'd kind of given up on it. But blogging at the time two or three times a week, every week, made my writing stronger. It gave me a tone that I could use that was just my tone. You know, like some of my favorite writers, like when you read Tempest, you know you're reading Tempest. When you read John Beckett, yeah. you know you're reading John Beckett. And I hope that when Absolutely. you read Jason, you, you know that you're reading Jason. And I think what blogs really help bring out people's voice when they're writing because we become more mm-hmm. conversational with how we write. And I think 15 yeah. years ago that wasn't acceptable, which is one of the reasons I think Llewellyn passed on my earlier attempt at a book because I've always been a very conversational <laughs> writer. But that wasn't the form back then. You weren't really supposed to be too conversational. But online interaction has changed that. But the more you write – the better you'll get at it. And sometimes you need to write even when you don't feel like writing. And I've said this before, you know, some days writing is like pulling teeth, you know, and I know that I've Uh got a deadline. I need to write a thousand words every day. And I'll be like, well, this is going to suck. This is terrible because, like, every sentence takes 30 minutes to write. I mean, it's just agonizingly Mm -hmm. slow. 
you're not you're not focused on it. But then sometimes you'll be surprised that when you get done, you're like, wow, this isn't bad at all. <laughs> and that was the Dionysus bit in the Horn God book. I was have I had a hard mm-hmm. time writing that book. Really hard time writing that book. It's footnote heavy. There's a lot of history in it. That's hard stuff to write. And I decided I was just going to go to the wine bar and see what happens. It is a Dionysus chapter. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. And it was like pulling teeth. But, you know, when I read it a couple of months later because I sat it down, I was like, wow, this isn't bad. This isn't bad at all. And that's what ended up going into the book. Yeah, and I I think writing in general is a very difficult thing, and I think people who put themselves under the gun like that, you know, being committed to a blog or being committed to some kind of an online presence like that has to be – you've got to have talent. I'm sorry. You can't just assume you're going to be able to do it. I mean, you're you're pulling things out of yourself in addition to – gathering the information around you and i think i think a lot more folks would like to think they can write but it's it's not so easy i think people make an assumption that writing is easy and it's really really not not when you have a a daily commitment or a weekly commitment like that i used to write very briefly for a, a pagan online um magazine and i remember just throwing myself at it and I I did it I think a year or two I can't remember off the top of my head it's a while back but I just remember sitting in front of the computer and thinking what the fuck am I going to write about this week let's see Um, hmm, what haven't I said seven ways to Sunday already Um, but you know you you do come up with it but I, I will tell you the mixture of sadness and relief I had when that when that online magazine went away um, is startling because part of me was like, oh, you know, I, I think I was starting to actually improve my writing. And then the other part of me was like, ha, 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 I don't have to do that anymore. I mean, but it was it was that kind of love-hate relationship. And I think some writers are just, some people are just born to write and and I think of you in that in that term um because you do make it conversational and I'm sorry I am not a genius as if anyone didn't know that already and I think the ability to relate to your audience and the ability to speak to your audience is very important when things get very textbook like uh, I fall asleep so I appreciate a more conversational tone, which is why I think you're one of the more popular and more relatable and easier to digest writers because you don't beat people over the head with the information. I, I try. I try not to. I mean, I'm sure there are some people who don't like my writing style. You know, and I, I ran across one of them on Facebook the other day. You know, so, like people were like, oh, I just got the Horned God book, and they were really excited. And this one person's like, I tried to read one of his books, and I just don't like his writing at all. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm right here. Ouch. You, you're, you're hurting me, you know. Uh, you when, know you talk about yeah. how hard, when you talk about how hard writing is, though, you know this, and, and some other people do, that I ran Patheos Pagan for years, right? Like yes. four, five yes. years or something, six years. And, you know, people are always like, I would love to blog for you. I want to write at Patheos, right? And they give them a blog, and they would yes. write two times, and that would be it. 
because they thought it would be this easy thing, right? Like, I'm just going to sit down and I'll just yeah. write some stuff. And it's not. It's, you know, even writing a blog post takes time and effort and energy, especially if you're going to write it and try to attract a readership, you know, because people who mm-hmm. read stuff in the pagan world are usually very smart. And if you get things wrong, they are more than happy to tell you how wrong you are. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. you know, that can scare you away pretty quickly. Also, you know, and it's, you know, some people just don't have four hours or whatever. They think they do, but they don't. Yeah. Right? I mean, you have to, no. you have to love it. I'm always amazed that John Beckett still writes three times a week, every week. That's his discipline. He does that. Yeah. You know, and sometimes he may not have a whole lot to say. And, uh, I, you know, like sometimes he does a movie or review or something, and I get that. Uh, but, you know, that is a level of consistency I've never seen in the pagan blogging world. I mean, uh, the Wild Hunt publishes every day, but it's a collection of writers, so it's not quite the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you were so kind when we when we started the show um, almost a decade ago now. You were very kind, and, and you had made a suggestion uh, that maybe we could write for Pathios. And, you know, so you, you had been at it a really long time. And, um, yeah, I was like, I can't do that. I don't know how to do I can't do that. But you were so sweet and so generous, and, and I don't think I ever – properly thank you for the offer um so thank you i wanted that but, so bad you know, it, I, I thought you all would have been huge like you know i mean you. you have the best you have the best name i have ever come across like in the pagan world for for branding and stuff i just think it's funny it's clever it it grabs your attention i i love it so much I mean, and I don't like just freely throw out my praise unless I really mean it. I I just think it's terrific. Thanks. Um, I will be very honest with you and and tell you that neither I nor my former co-host came up with the name. Um, The name was was come upon by a former lover of mine. So (laughs) wherever Mm -hmm. he is. He is, his ears are probably burning and thanking you for the credit. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. I, I have kept it in spite of certain changes to the show uh, because people know the name. And when I tell people who have never heard of me before, oh, blah, 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 Desperate House Witches, they're like, with a name like that, I have to be on your show. So it has definitely helped, and, and thank you for saying that. But getting back to the book. You know, I will tell you that as a a young witch in the 70s, and very young witch at the time, obviously, or not obviously, um, there was a huge push to be very goddess-centered. And in the beginning of my education, before I was actually mentored, but in the beginning of my education when I was surrounded by um, older people practicing paganism, and witchcraft, there was very little mention of male deity. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was because of women's lib at the time or if it it was um, just an overall rejection of maleness, but I was surrounded, it seemed, by folks who practiced 
more of a Dianic practice. And I always felt like something was up with that. And I was really young at the time, and it was before we were in the world that we're in now, which tries to be a more inclusive world, which I'm very appreciative of. Um, Folks who know me know about my involvement in certain communities um, and my love for certain communities. I don't I don't want to go into it because it just seems like pandering, so I'm just going to leave it at that. But I felt like there was an overall rejection back in the 70s and the 80s of maleness. Um, And I wish there had been this book back then for me because I was not into the – something for me with the Dianic practices seemed like something was missing. So I think that for a lot of us, especially, you know, today's like the definition of witchcraft is sort of changing in a lot of ways. But I think for a lot of us, Gen X and older, you know, it was very much kind of a religious thing, right, or a spiritual thing. You know, we got into this. I mean, yes, doing magic was important, but also to connect with higher powers, deity. And worshiping a goddess is novel, right? It's, It's unique and different, especially in the Western world. And I think a lot of people come to witchcraft, especially Wicca, because of the goddess, because Mm -hmm. there's not another outlet for that. So because of that, we put a lot of emphasis on her. And I think that's fine. I mean, it's why I ended up here. You know, I was terrified of the horn Mm -hmm. god for years. You know, I wanted to focus on the goddess. So that ended up being the thing. I also believe that in the late 70s, um, and throughout the 80s and into the, even into the early 90s, you know, satanic panic was a real thing. People often talk about it like a joke or that it wasn't real. But people went to jail for decades because of unsubstantiated allegations of child abuse, usually at daycares. You know, there were people still in, mm-hmm. the, in jail in the 2000s over this. And because of that yes. fear of Satan, I think that we specifically downplayed the god, especially the horn god. You know, like you read books, like Gerald Gardner was pretty specific, you know, horn god, you know, it's there. You read Paul Hewson's Mastering Witchcraft, you know, it's, they're not all cuddly sun gods in Paul Hewson's <laughs> Mastering Witchcraft. And, right. uh, you know, and then in the late 70s, that changed. And, you know, it was, well, this, this figure's in a very much a secondary role. You know, he doesn't have any power at all. He only gets it through her. You know, there's a mm-hmm. God in this, but you can call it whatever you want. And, yeah, to some witches it has horns, but for a lot of other witches it doesn't have horns. So it doesn't really have to be a horned God, right? I mean, and, and it kind of changed things. I think we really downplayed Hornhead for those two particular reasons. You know, the, the you know, the, yeah. the, I don't like saying novelty. I don't want people to just say that I'm dismissing it. That's not at all. But, I mean, it's just unique, right, to have a goddess. It's a big deal. When sure. you're coming to this, sure. it's comforting. It feels like something is complete. Um, but at the same time, too, while we did that, you know, satanic panics, you know, going on. So we sort of downplayed our male deity who had been, in a lot of instances, horned. So I think those two factors had a lot to do with it. And if you go through the 90s, you see a sort of kind of get out of that, especially. You know, there's yeah. more, there's a little more emphasis, especially on the horned god. Traditional witchcraft, so traditional witches usually hate Wiccans, right? I mean, it's a thing online, Wicca sucks, traditional witchcraft's better, Wiccans are bad. Their, their conception of the horn god is so much like more like what mine is. 
It's actually more mm-hmm. like what Gerald Gardner's is, you know, and I think that they've been really instrumental in sort of bringing back the place of the horn god in a lot of things that we do, you know, like, because to them, that is the more primary of the deities is the horn one. And so I think that they've kind of pushed him back into the spotlight a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, one of the things I also noticed is that when people talk about male deity, it just, it always felt to me like, all male deity was kind of pushed into this amalgam instead of being separate entities. Like you have, I mean, you lay out very specific uh, differences in your book. And I think it's like a re-education for me because I'm, because everything got like shoved into a corner in favor of the goddess. So for me, it's like a whole new education because I will admit um, when I was being mentored, it was a very, um, because my mentor referred to us as gardenias as opposed to gardenarians, like we were gardenarian-ish. So there was there were certain <laughs> Sorry, things that, you know so we we were yeah so we were gardenias instead of gardenarians specifically Amazing. but a lot of our stuff came from Gardner obviously um, but you know it, it just seemed like people were you know even in in my group were not so concerned not necessarily afraid of, but not so concerned with with male deities that everything was a lot more female focused. And I guess, you know, and I and I still go back to the, you know, the women's movement as being part of that and, you know, wanting women to feel empowered. And I'm I'm very appreciative of that, but you know, things grow and change and now we're in a, in a world where, you know, we have like Ellen of the Ways, I completely learned from you. I never heard of Ellen of the Ways before you. Can you talk to folks a little bit about Ellen who may not also know of her? So for the last – and I've seen it kind of on and off for the last 10 years, though she was first written about in the 80s. There's a reindeer goddess mm-hmm. called Ellen of the Ways, and it's not a goddess that's really in the historical record. A feminist scholar named mm-hmm. Caroline Wise you know, she was kind of looking between the lines and, and, you know, sees things in the Mabinogian and a few other spaces and thinks, hey, you know, maybe there was this reindeer goddess that kind of got pushed aside, right? So I want to write about her. And I think that her name is Ellen or Helen, which is the figure in the Mabinogian that she, you know, uses to say that this goddess was probably real. And, you know, she wrote mm-hmm. some online stuff. You know, the self-published a few books, but I think those even came much later. But the idea, like, really resonated with people. And I would go to festivals and people would say, Jason, what about Ellen of the Ways? And I would look at them with this bewildered expression on my face. What? You know, because I didn't know. <laughs> uh, so I decided that I needed to find out about it, right? And I'll admit, yeah. you know, when a god does not have, a deity does not have mythology, when a deity does not have really much in the way of attested to historical record, like, you know, artifacts, statues. I tend to be skeptical, you know, that's just sort of my nature. And so I was kind of skeptical of Ellen. And then I'm writing the book and, you know, I'm putting all that together. And then I, you know, I just kind of Google Ellen of the ways on Amazon 
<laughs> you know, there are statues. Statues from, like, big yeah. statue companies. And they say Ellen of the Ways on them. And, um, and, you know, they're, like, mass-produced in China, which is usually not a good thing, but it says something in this case, right? Like, this deity resonates with people. And you can find T-shirts. Sure. And then there are a couple of books now that are not necessarily from Wise. They're from other people who've had experiences with Ellen. You know, there are, none of them are big, like, Wiser, Llewellyn, or Simon & Schuster books, but, you know, they're published. Right. You know, even if they're self-published, people are feeling the need to write and to, to share the information. And I go to festivals, and I see her on T-shirts and things. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, why am, why am I so – why am I skeptical? You know, why am I being – why am I wanting to be an asshole about this? If we believe mm-hmm. that deities have agency – Right, that they're active yeah. in this world and that they're real, and all of a sudden this mm-hmm. deity is on statues and T-shirts, and people are writing books about her and having experiences with her. Isn't that all that you need to be like a real deity? I mean, it isn't there's a power there that's expressing itself, and you don't have to follow the power or you know believe in the power or whatever. But I mean, I think it's pretty much plain as day that it's obviously real yeah. or it wouldn't be here in this way. Uh, so that's kind of the Ellen story. You know, I don't dedicate a lot of the book to it. I mean, it's just maybe two pages or something. But I knew when I put the book together that I was going to put Ellen in it. That was just one of my thoughts, that she would have to be in this book just because I got questions about her. But also, uh, you know, I believe things like the Horn God are an ongoing story. So it just doesn't yeah. end in 1954 when Gardner writes about the Horn God for the first time or when Margaret Murray writes about the Horn God of the Witches in 1931. It's continuous. It, it goes forward. And that this figure is here and resonates with people, mean, that means it's part of the story. So I felt like it had to be in the book. There's a lot of people, like when I read Amazon reviews, that's like a big critique. He writes about horned goddesses too. <laughs> like, I mean, it's one. I think I I added it up the other day. It's one point six percent of the entire book. But I mean, that really upsets yeah. and disturbs some people. And you know, it's it's unfortunate. I think uh, because I think deity is greater than us, right? So I feel like it can it's appear in a variety of forms. Well, yeah, and in case in case people didn't notice, the book isn't called the male horned god of the witches. It's the horned god of the witches. Just saying, I don't think you specified um, on the cover anywhere that would mislead people to think it was male only. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I like a point that you make about you know gods, goddesses deity having the ability to change and not mm-hmm. just be one stru- you know one sexuality or one structure and i think you know the need for people to identify with their deities um you know i think we have this obvious habit of making gods to be like us um and they're not necessarily like us they're gods you know i i am soft polytheist i believe that there are many but somewhere because they're gods they're somehow connected and that's just where i go with it in my head so but i do believe that you know as easy as a god can morph into an animal 
or a human or a tree, everything's on the table. Gods can, they're fucking gods. That's why they can do what the fuck they want. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, that's just my take on it. And I know it sounds very simple, but I think the more we get away from gods having agency and being able to do whatever it is they please, um, the more we limit them to what we are in our experience. It's really strange to me when people, you know, who are really devout about deity, they talk about deity and so much of what they talk about is grounded in what happened 2,000 years ago. And, you know, I get Mm -hmm. that. I mean, those gods were being actively worshipped 2,000 years ago. You know, people were sacrificing to them, uh, praying to them, you know, working with them, et cetera, et cetera. But, Everything is, again, it's an evolution, right? And it doesn't stand still, Mm -hmm. and it moves forward. And I think of deities like Ellen of the Ways, and the book also talks about, and this is another thing that upset some people, is, you know, there were female representations of Pan in the ancient world. They weren't common, but sometimes you would see Pan, Mm -hmm. and Pan would have a kind of a fetching feminine figure with breasts. And there was a deity in Gaul where Fran- where Cronos was worshipped, which is modern-day France, Gaul. And, mm-hmm. you know, it has horns on – it has antlers on its head, right? And it's, it's clearly female and, you know, worshipped, mm-hmm. you know, in similar places where Cronos was. And, you know, could it be a female Cronos or the spouse of Cronos or the daughter of Cronos? We don't, we don't know, right? But it's there. Right. It, it says that there was this antlered female figure – that meant something to at least some of these people. And to me, when I think about these figures and I think about Ellen, I think that they're meant to be a way into the mysteries of the horn God. Right. And I think a lot of uh-huh. it, especially coming from Christianity or just the awfulness of men in general, sometimes, you know, we have trouble connecting with, with that uh, divine male, so to speak. Right. And so instead we have these other options, right, to to take the mysteries of the horn god forward. You know, to me the horn god is a god of nature and life and love and pleasure and joy and exuberance and being ecstatic, all these beautiful things. And you can experience those things with the horn god. But if you don't like male deities, I think that these other things are the horned one's way of saying here, you can still take my hand or my hoof. And you can come forward and you can do this stuff with me and I'll make it easier. I'll give you a way in. And I love that. And I don't understand why people want to close those doors. Right? It's just like it doesn't hurt you you for that door to be open. And I always take pains in the book, you know, like, you know, this, you know, like your definition of a horn god may be different than mine. And that's fine. How you interact with the horn god may be very different from how I do it. So, I mean, if you don't think Ellen's a horned god in the traditional sense and you don't like female versions of Pan and Kronos and the Green Man, you can just, you know, throw that out if you want. I I don't care, but I feel like it needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be written about and people need to know it's there because I think when you're a writer, it's about opening doors and it's not about closing them. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I think part of the beauty of being pagan, whatever, is the ability to accept 
other deities other than the ones that we've been reading about forever. And I agree with you. This need to only believe things that existed thousands of years ago, I think is a, I think it's a trap. I really do. I think gods change. I think there's gods we have no fucking clue about that haven't made themselves evident to us yet. Uh, I think in another number of thousands of years or hundreds of years even, there will be gods spoken about that we didn't, we didn't have a clue about. Things are going to be discovered. There's, there's so much that we don't know. And the older I get, the more I realize I know even less, which is kind of cool because then I get to talk to people like you and you educate me on other things that I don't know about, which is kind of why I'm here. But I'm with I, you. I, really I feel dumber the older I get. I yeah, feel like I know less like, the older I get. There are more. There are more questions. There are more mysteries, right? Exactly. In my early twenties, in my early twenties, I thought I had the answers, and you know, then you realize you really yeah. don't have the answers. <laughs> At twenty, I wasn't even sure what the fucking questions were. Are you kidding? I'm still trying to figure it all out. I don't even know what to ask half the time. But the fact of the matter is, is that this need to, you know, because I love some of the the younger folks who who are like, yeah, but this practice is like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years old. And I'm like, um, actually, we didn't get it over here until I was born. So maybe you want to relax a little bit. Um, you know, it's not ancient, all of it. A lot of it isn't, actually. You know, a lot of the, obviously, Gard- Gardnerian, it's not thousands of years old. Uh, I'm not saying what? that there aren't magical practices. Yeah, I know, right? What? I know. I was shocked. What? I, I was like, what do you, what do you mean you. he wasn't living in a cave? I know, right? How so, But I, I just find it hilarious. I know. I'm being ridiculous. And I know you'll never speak to me again after this, but it's true. Um, so, you know, when <gasps> people are like, well, you what? <laughs> now you're just making me laugh. Stop. But yeah, sorry. I know, it's, Is this pe- easy? People, funny. No, you're great. It's just I just find it hilarious that people are horrified when I'm like, no, no, no. Um, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, we're we're worshiping new gods too. Relax, it's okay. I mean, there's a pantheon, of course, that you know if you if you follow Greek or you follow Roman or you, I mean, whatever. Um, that you can trace certain worship styles back thousands of years, sure. But, you know, a lot of us believe stuff that's kind of new in the spectrum of of life. Um, And that's okay, you know. So when I, you know, like, again, never heard of Ellen of the Ways before this particular book, and was like, oh, maybe I should start investigating that. So, I mean, that's really cool. And and I just want people to be more open to – it's not that the gods are fitting into our box, as it were. We're, we're expanding our belief and our acceptance and who we are and our thoughts about it. Um, when you limit what the gods can do, feel, say, whatever – you're putting your you're you're making them like you, you know. We worship gods because they're fucking gods, <laughs> okay. I know that's very irreverent, but there's a reason why you go to something higher than yourself. I'm not trying to force a god to be like me. 
I don't want a God that's like me. That's scary. So, because I know the shit I've done. You know, like when I think about people believing that the gods have to stay in the box that they were in 2,000 years ago, I, I find that problematic for a couple of reasons. First of all, we know that the gods evolved in places like ancient Greece and Rome. You know, we can see that in the historical record. We can see that in how they're written about, and we can see that in how they're worshipped. And then a very close connection with Pan. I mean, Pan is the reason I wrote this book. Pan was the first horned god I ever, I like ever had a relationship with and fell in love with. Mm-hmm. And you know, Pan in the ancient world was, I don't want to insult my guy, but, you know, he was kind of like a bee god, right? He wasn't, you know, like a, a top dog. Yeah. I mean, he was he was like a solid B minus sort of god. And all of a sudden in the 19th century, and oh, and also, you know, he indulged yeah. in a lot of bad behaviors in mythology, right? I mean, this is not, yeah. the, this yeah. is not the god you wanted anyone to date, Right. Or even, or even have like a rendezvous with, and then you know. So fast forward, you know, two thousand years, eighteen hundred years, or whatever, and Pan is all of a sudden being written about in a new way. Pan is now the god of the countryside. Pan is a lot more serene. Pan is a way to connect with nature in a way that Pan hadn't been used to connect with nature in the ancient world. You know, and he was written about in this this much much more pleasant way. And I've seen people like, well, that's not right. really Pan. And I'm like, of course it's really Pan. Do you think these people were writing this just, you know, because they wanted to like intentionally like screw up how a god is perceived or something? You have to believe that Pan is whispering in their ear, right? Like that sure. he is actively yeah. involved in this redoing of his myth and who he is. So to me, mythology mm-hmm. is always actively going. It's always taking place. And yeah, I mean, we should be wary sometimes of what we call personal gnosis, right? I mean, you know, there are things that people might say just to take advantage of others or perhaps, you know, their spiritual moment was more the product of a substance or something than a reality. But sure. when a bunch of people have that same sort of feeling and they write about it, I mean, then I think it, we have to take it seriously as becoming real. So to me, that's a lot of what the Horn God's about. And people who want to keep Pan in the year 50, you know, aren't really respecting Pan <laughs> because obviously the story's been moving forward for a while. Absolutely. And, Again, you know, as the world changes, you know, the nothing stays the same. The gods don't stay the same. We don't stay the same. You know, we're we're constantly in a situation of evolution, hopefully. Um, and I just find, you know, we're we're a product of the things we are taught, and we're a product of the environment we've grown up in, and. You know, if you stay in that one spot, then you don't change and you don't grow, and neither do your experiences. But I think, because I know, you know, a lot of people get a lot of flack from folks out there saying, yeah, but you're not including, you're not being inclusive or you're being too inclusive. And it's like, no, it is what it is. This is where we are. We have all grown and changed. We are moving forward. And I just, I, I get, 
I, I just kind of shake my head sometimes when I hear that people are getting flack for for saying, no, 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 you know, everything is evolving. It does happen. We do this. Um, I don't know. I just I get concerned that people want to close down certain avenues, um, and I'm sorry that they want to do that because that's not growth, and uh, I have a problem with that. <laughs> you know, but I think the book is is great. I am in the middle of it, and I can't wait to get through the second half of it. And I think it's wonderful, and I'm glad that you wrote it because, quite frankly, um, I was not taught a lot about male deity. Um, again, very specifically goddess oriented. So I feel like I kind of feel like I've missed out on a lot in that. Well, regard. I mean, if you look. If you look at sort of the witch books, especially that were available for a long time in the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, those are the, yeah. the first time any sort of like male only book, right? God book had ever been published, I think was in the 90s. And there were really only two of them that were kind of easily available. There was the Farrar's The Witch's God, which was about all the yeah. different versions of the God, you know, like there's the Sky God and you know, maybe the horn mm-hmm. god or whatever, but, I mean, it's just a little teeny chapter. And then there was D.J. Conway's Lord of Light and Shadow, which was a companion to yeah. her book, Maiden Mother Crone. But, again, not specifically focused on the horn gods. You know, sun gods are in there, underworld gods, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, so we've never really had a book like this before. There were a few that kind of came close, but they were usually by small publishers. Capital Band published some in the 90s. There was In Search of Hearn the Hunter by a writer named Eric Fitch, which is a fantastic book mm-hmm. if you're interested in Hearn. But those books never had a lot of distribution in the, in the United States, and Capital Bound shut down a few years ago. So now all those titles are selling for like $1,000 online. And while they're kind mm-hmm. of good books, they're usually not worth that. There was also Masks of, of Misrule by a writer named Nigel Jackson. But especially Masks of Misrule, was really kind of a more romanticized take on the Horn God. The Horn God more yeah. through the prism of Margaret Murray than actual real history. You know, it's about mm-hmm. the Horn God being connected to sort of everything. And, you know, there's some huge leaps when it comes to the history of witchcraft and unbroken chains and stuff. But, you know, that, but that was it. And as I said, most people never got a hold of those books. Uh, because they yeah. just weren't easily available. So for people like, ah, oh, you know, trying to, you know, don't beat yourself up. Like nobody, nobody <laughs> had any of this stuff because it just wasn't out there. You just couldn't have any of this stuff. And so, right. yeah, so like the, I'm excited and proud of this book because it is sort of radically different than what came before it because there's never really been a book like this, especially from, you know, a major occult publisher. I agree. And I think that's why I'm like so appreciative that you wrote it. Um, And we are kind of running a little bit down on time. Um, So I wanted to ask, now that you have put out this book that you wanted to put out before, how do you follow this up? Well, I mean, I'm almost done with the next book. Well, actually, oh God, I know it's, it's, it's being 
Yeah, it's that book number eight is already done. It's called the Witch's Book of Spellcraft, oh. and I've always wanted to oh. write a magic book, right? I mean, I feel like if you're going to be a witchcraft author, you know, you have to write your magic book with with you know a hundred spells in it and how to do different kinds of magic. So that's the next one, the Witch's Book of Spellcraft, and that'll be out in March. And then right now I'm finishing up The Witch's Guide to the Greek Gods. And I'm writing that with my friend Estrella Taylor, who wrote Intuitive Witchcraft. She's terrific. And it's about, it's a history of the gods of ancient Greece and to a small degree, ancient Rome. And wow. how they were worshipped then and then how they were worshipped going forward. Because it just doesn't stop, you know, in 381 right. when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. You know, it talks about, you know, how gods were worshipped after that and how they kind of hung around in a lot of ways. And and then it has a bunch of outside contributors too. And hopefully that will be done very, very shortly. And it should be out in like next year, probably in November, December or something. Wow. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things. <laughs> and then I'm contracted to write a biography of Ray Buckland after that. Uh, which I'll be starting in September. So yeah, there's there's so much there's so much shit to do. And then I know oh the two books after that. So yeah, I've, I've got wow. like three books on my plate. Um, yeah. Wow. Raymond yeah. Buckland want, biography. Write, that must yeah be intimidating. It oh is very scary. I wish I'd said no. I really do sometimes. Uh, no, you but don't. No, you don't. I do. We'll see. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a different. It's a different discipline, right? Uh, writing a biography. Sure. So we'll see how that works. Sure. Also, uh, I mean, I do want to write a a, a good Wicca one hundred and one book, which is going to uh-huh. happen. And then I want to write a book that's similar to the Horned God of the Witches, but focusing on the goddess. You know, one of the things I'm most uh-huh. proud of on the Horned God of the Witches is, you know, you could spend a lot of time on ancient stuff, but really, yeah. you know, a lot of how we look at the Horned God is a, re- is a result of modern circumstances. It's a result of modern writers like Robert Graves and especially Margaret Murray and mm-hmm. Gerald Gardner and things. And that's really yeah. sort of the last half of the book. And I think those are the best chapters in the book. I'm so proud of those. And... I want to do the same thing with with the goddess, right, and kind of go over the different influences and some of the stuff in the ancient world. Like, you know, there are a few goddesses that I think have an oversized role today. Uh, Hecate would be one, maybe the Morrigan, certainly uh, Ariadne from, or not Ariadne, but Aradia from Gospel of the Witches by Charles Leland. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, and kind Mm -hmm. of look at those things. Yeah, there's always something. You know, really, I just want to get drunk for like a year straight and watch football, but it probably won't do that. No, I don't think so. Not yet. Not for a long time. Maybe when you retire, if that ever happens. Um, But hopefully that's a very, very, very long time off. Um, But I, I just I'm fascinated by the way you write. I'm fascinated even more by the amount you write. Um, You're probably one of the most prolific writers I've ever had the pleasure of meeting and I just I, I love the way you write so <clears throat> to whoever doesn't like it because um, I don't care everything is not for everyone necessarily but I would say the vast majority of people 
um, do love the way you write. So I'm very appreciative that you actually come and spend some time with me. Anytime. I always love talking to you. You know, it's, you know, I'm always open. You know, if you want to, if you want to hang out and, and chat, I'm always around. Which is great. And I'm very appreciative yeah. of that as well. Um, when you're desperate for so a guest, I, you know, I'm there. <laughs> I'm there. Well, I mean, you're very sweet to offer, and I actually do want to book you for your next book as well, which we'll do after this, hopefully. But I I am happy that we are somewhat coming out of, I don't know, what do you think? Are we all going to be able to see each other next year or something? If if is the Delta variant just going to keep things rolling the way they are right now? I just want your quick take on it before we go. I think it's going to continue. I think we're still going to have people getting sick. The, the unvaccinated mm-hmm. population is going to go to the hospital and some of those individuals are going to mm-hmm. die. And I think that's a shame because yeah. I think there's a way to prevent that from happening by getting vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that yeah. we're going to have the shutdowns that we did uh, because yeah. there is a way out, right? And if people yeah. choose to take it, you know, they can be safe from this. I mean, you're, if you get vaccinated, you can still get sick. But the difference is, is that you don't go to the hospital. True. You don't die, right? I mean, right. it makes a big difference. Right. And I think also what we're going to look at is certain areas are going to be hit harder than other areas, depending on vaccination rates. Where I live, we have a very sure. high vaccination rate. I feel pretty good about going outside and going to places. And when I'm inside, like at a grocery store, I still wear a mask and stuff. Uh, But when I go to the bar after this, you know, I'm not going to wear a mask, you know, because I'm, you know, also confident that everybody is vaccinated, which is, you know, exciting. So I think that we'll have events. It is. But I think that some of those events will make people sick. And if people have not taken the necessary precautions, uh, some of mm-hmm. some of that sickness could be very severe, but I don't think we're going to completely shut down again. I hope not. Well, that uh, would be good. I hope not. I have do we have? Do you have any events take. coming up? Yeah. Do you have any events coming I, up? Uh, public events. I finally, I finally do. I mean, it's in 2019. Yay. I think I like went somewhere every three weeks, and then 2020, you know, was just grounded. But in October, I'm mm-hmm. doing a witches' soiree in Las Vegas. Nice. It's a Thursday night. It's um, kind of in the middle of the month, but there'll be a lot of uh, witchcraft things there. A lot of there'll be readers and uh, dancers and all kinds of crazy things. And it's in one of my favorite cities, so um, that's fun. I don't really have anything to do there other than I'm supposed to mingle with people. So I'm really excited nice. about that. That's great. And then the next yeah. to last week of October which is the weekend before Samhain, I'm doing the Iowa City Metaphysical Fair, um, which was I was supposed okay. to do last year. And I'm very excited about that. Right. I'm, a, I'm a Midwest boy. My grandmother grew up on a farm. Our family still owns a farm, so I'm very excited to be Ooh. headed that way in the, in the autumn. Nice. And then I'm going to Salem uh-huh. the last weekend of – the last week of September. I don't have anything planned, uh-huh. but if you live on the East Coast in New England – I will be around. Uh-huh. So, so that's kind of nice. that's kind of neat. Yeah, and then that's great. You know, and then convo- convocation 2022 in Detroit in February, but that's mm-hmm. when things kind of start up again. But yeah, it's strange not to go to outdoor festivals. Strange not to be at Mystic South this year. 
You know, it's yep. it's been yep. weird to be stuck at home so much. Agreed, agreed. Well, hopefully I'll get to see you at Mystic South 2022 because my understanding is that that's happening. Yeah, I think that they were a little premature in canceling it. I think it probably could have happened this late July. Um, but I also understand people being cautious and things, and we need everybody to Absolutely. be comfortable when they go somewhere. But, yeah, if it had happened this yeah. year, I, I would have been there for sure. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'll get to see you next year. But in the meantime, Jason, thank you so much again. The book is The Horned God of the Witches. Pick it up. It's not necessarily what you think it is in your head. Give it a shot. It's a great book. And Jason Mankey, thank you again for spending the hour with me, and we will speak again soon. Thank you for having me. I always love being on the show. Love having you, too. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, I'm going to wrap it right here. Bye. I'll see you next week. Have a wonderful week. Take care. Get your shot if you haven't. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.